And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Paul, that wasn't good, man. Not good. Are we talking him off the ledge or are we raising the panic button? What are we doing? I don't know. I feel like we should have planned who's going to do what, but I think we might both end up in the same place here. I'm not really good. I'm not the, I am not typically the panic button guy and I probably won't be on this show. So it'll probably be, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be the panic button guy on this show either, but I am concerned. I have real concerns. We might change our mind as we get each other fired up. Who knows where this is going? (laughs) This is allocation in the morning. We just got back from the stadium. Yes. We just finished filing our stories. Yes. I've, I've just taken my first two sips of a beer. I'm calm now, Sam. But when you get going, <laughs> I might get fired up. Paul, I've never pushed your buttons before in my life. So, you know, <laughs> I won't get you riled I up. I believe the quote was that that I will end up punching you midway through the October window earlier today <laughs> is what you said. So that's definitely that's the not over true. Under. That's the over <laughs> under. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, like I said, this is allocation disorder. We, we tried a cold open this week. Not sure how that worked, but you know, we're going to stick with it. The U S men's national team. Speaking of cold, they're out in it right now. One, uh, one draw against Canada here in Nashville on Sunday night. We are recording after that match, as Paul mentioned, they now have two points through their first two matches. This is the group that was talking about getting nine points from these three games, Paul. And now they are in a position where they head to Honduras, um, a place that's difficult to play against a team that's difficult to play against, as we saw in the Nations League semifinal, which the U.S. barely squeaked out a 1-0 win. Uh, it's a place where Honduras is 9-2-4 and four in the last three hexagonals. They, they have a pretty good record there. And they need, I mean, a tie, I guess, would do it, but... They kind of need a win to get the vibes right, man. No, like, no, this no, is no. bad. Sam, Sam, a tie is not going to do it. A tie is not going to do it. And look, this is a massive game all of a sudden. Okay, this is a massive game all of a sudden. And it really shows why I think tonight's performance against Canada, for me, was more disappointing than what we saw in El Salvador. They needed to win this game at home just to settle everything down. Settle the nerves, get a good result at home. You should be aggressive, you know, when you're playing at home. I felt like there wasn't enough urgency in some of the play. Most of the play, actually. And now we 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 pivot and we look at Honduras and what is needed. You need a win. If you win this game... And Sam, I sent this to you earlier. If you win this game and and the other results play out the way you, I think they are, we think they are, right? Mexico beats Panama. Canada beats El Salvador at home. I mean, they're going to be in Canada. And Costa Rica and Jamaica, it doesn't really matter what happens in that game. Throw that game aside. Any result. 
then the U.S. will be sitting in second place, tied with Canada, in the table. If they win. If they win, right. If they win. Nine points for Mexico, five for the U.S., five for Canada, four for Panama, and then the rest, Costa Rica, Salvador, Jamaica, Honduras, behind them in some order, right? If they lose, though, they're on two. If they lose, Honduras is on five. And you drop all the way down into fourth place, fifth place. Yeah, at best. Depending on yeah, other results, right? Yeah. If you draw, you're right back in that same boat, right? Of that that mesh, that mess with Costa Rica, Salvador, Jamaica, Honduras, or not Honduras, yeah. Costa Rica, Salvador, Jamaica. So yeah. that is a big difference in qualification to be going into the next window in second place in the group or going into the next window outside of the qualification spots. Yeah. Big deal. It's really important, man. Big it's deal. It's really important. And, and, and like, listen, this format is more forgiving than the hex. There are 14 games. There is more time to correct your missteps, right? Um, this isn't as bad as the start of the last hex when the U.S. dropped their first two games. They lost them. Zero points, right? They have two. So it's not quite as bad, but this isn't good, man. And, and it's not just that the results aren't good. The performances haven't been good. We talked about it the other night and, and when I was down in El Salvador. The attacking play wasn't there. This was a different game. El Salvador came out impressed, right? They were, they were running down the U.S.'s throats, and the U.S. struggled to deal with it, right? They couldn't really play out of the pressure. They were sloppy. They struggled to deal with the environment, yada, yada, yada. We talked about that for an hour the other day. I won't bore with you it anymore. Canada was much different. They sat. They bunkered. It's five four one. They sat really deep. They remained organized, and they said, "Here, U.S., you have the ball. We'll let you have it. We're good with that. Um, we're just going to look to break through Alfonso Davies." And credit to Canada, man. They performed the game plan to perfection. They did really, really well. Uh, there was—I I wrote this in my story. There was one moment in this entire game that the U.S. broke them down with the ball. Right, the goal for Aronson in the fifty-fifth minute, which was a great goal. It was a textbook example of how you want to play in transition, but it was in transition, right? Aronson pressed Alistair Johnston, I believe. Maybe it was Scott Kennedy. I can't remember exactly. He pressed him, won the ball, uh, played it square, and the U.S. was off and running. Christian Pulisic got fouled. They played advantage. Ends up Aronson tapping it in uh, from inside the six. It was a great play. Jordan Pifak had a good chance on a corner kick that Daniil Henry made a really good defensive clearance on with his head uh, to keep that looked like it was going to be a tap in at the back post for Legit if it got through. Um, but those that's a that's a transition moment, and that's a set play. They had one chance through the run of play, Paul, and they had 72% possession. They were not able to use the ball to break Canada down at all. They didn't have good ideas. They were really, really slow in rotating play. They didn't look to switch play. They weren't direct. There were just all sorts of problems, and it follows a game in El Salvador when they had all sorts of problems of a different stripe. They weren't the same problems, right? So you're not stacking problems on top of problems. Yeah. I mean, they weren't and, the same problems And what problems do you do now? What do you... But they were the same problems, I think, in the what's wrong with this team, which is that it's, it's lacking connectivity and confidence in the final third. It's lacking solutions in the final third. And that's really important. Yeah. You know, that was the same problem in El Salvador as it was tonight. Nobody was stepping up and being the guy in the final third. The group wasn't stepping up to figure out how to break this down. I thought tonight especially they needed more from Kellen Acosta and Sebastian Legette in the pockets. Yeah. They needed more from Jordan Pifok in, in checking back. 
mm-hmm. to get the ball and create another place where you can break the lines with your passing and, they need and more pull from the, center the center backs out of that space. They needed more yeah. of that. I did think there was maybe one other chance that happened in the run of play. I, I have to go back and look at how the play started. But there was the cross from Christian Pulisic. He kind of chipped it to Sebastian Legit, who had a wide open volley from 16 yards out and missed the target. Yeah. Which you cannot do. Yeah. You cannot do that from that moment in World Cup qualifying. But I agree with your point. You know, when you're playing against a low block, it, it's very difficult to break that down and to, to generate chances. But mm-hmm. there are a couple ways you can start to do it, even just little ways to try to build some level of confidence. You can hit shots from distance, which they did yep. one time. We saw. It was a good one, hit, one too. One time, it was a good hit. And that forces them to step Anthony to you Robinson. a little bit earlier and maybe open up some space closer to the the, the box, closer to the goal. Mm-hmm. Right? You can get the ball wide and start to serve in crosses. And they had a big target striker. They didn't really do that very very well or very often, or really at all that I can remember. Uh, or really what they needed, I thought, was just Faster decision making across the entire field. Yeah, that was it. They man. were just very slow, and that's so what deliberate. Canada wanted. Canada wanted them to swing the ball back and forth on the back line, nice and slowly and leisurely, the way they did, and they could just rotate and rotate and rotate and rotate, and there was never a moment where it was started to feel dangerous. Nope. And that's what Canada wanted, and that's mm-hmm. where the U.S. was lacking. And and I don't know. What the solution is going to Honduras. I, before this game, Sam, told you my prediction was that they would go to a 5-3-2, 3-5-2, however you want to think about it, in Honduras. Yeah. I think that you probably have to do that now for multiple reasons. One, because it's been so bad, you need to change it up. Yeah. Two, because Gio Reyna's out, and it's right. a one more player who doesn't have solutions. And now, if Serginho Dest is out... You're just thinner across the board, and you have yep. three strikers, and you have many, you know, fewer wingers. But something has to change, man. Something has yeah. to change. And you mentioned a few things there, and this is like very uh, indicative of our hosting talents here on this show. Probably should have mentioned off the top that Giorena missed the game due to a hamstring injury that he suffered in El Salvador that we did not know about until. God, I mean, we I haven't even we, gotten to the craziest news. We we haven't, yeah. We, we, he wasn't at training yesterday, so we had an idea that he wouldn't be playing. Weston McKenney was suspended for this game for a violation of team rules. Greg Berhalter did not say exactly what it was after the game, but Weston McKenney posted on his Instagram after the news came out that he violated the team's COVID protocols. Um, that was presumably last night. Uh, McKenney was at training yesterday, uh, and Tyler Adams said that um, the team was informed that this was this was happening on Sunday afternoon, so not too long before the actual game itself. Paul, uh, I mean, let's just let's just get into it right now. This is so disappointing, man. Like, I don't know what McKenney did, right? But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He he could have had a coffee with his mom, like, or his dad. It doesn't matter. There are rules. I'm sure the rules were communicated properly to the entire team. And McKenney, either through ignorance or forgetfulness or just blatant willingness, broke them. And he got caught. And he was suspended for the game. He, Greg Berhalter said that he doesn't know if he's going to be unsuspended for Wednesday. He still hasn't decided that yet. 
And this is a guy, yes, he is young, right? Uh, he's 23. We all did stupid things when we were 23, right? Lord knows I did plenty of them. But you're supposed to be, you know, a leader on this team. You're one of the best players on the team. You're supposed to be a leader. So I'm You've the captain council. You've worn the captain's armband before. And you go out and do something like this ahead of a huge game after a disappointing performance from your team and, frankly, from himself uh, in El Salvador on Thursday. That matters a lot. And you you can't hold it together for a week. Like, just hold it together for a week, man. Like, that's all you got to do. And and it's like, again, he could have, like, it doesn't matter what he did. What matters is that he broke a rule, presumably. I shouldn't even say that. He broke a rule. Maybe he knew that he was breaking the rule. Maybe he didn't. If he didn't know he was breaking the rule, he should have known the rules right? <laughs> and not broken them. Um, that's his responsibility. He's an adult. He's a professional athlete who gets paid a lot of money to play on his club team and who gets a lot of notoriety to play on this team. And he let his team down in a huge, huge way. And, you know, Tyler Adams said it. Like him and Pulisic both got asked about it in the press conference after the match and you know, Pulisic was a little more diplomatic, but, you know, those three are, like, tight. Christian and Tyler and Weston. And Tyler was like, yeah, it's uh, it's disappointing. You know? Because, like, this is a guy say? you're supposed to count on. I'm going to go further than you, Sam, here. And in, in that I, I am going to – I'm going to talk about this as though it was a, a, a rule that was known and a rule that was broken despite knowing. And, you know, I, I'm going to look at the apology from Weston and uh, – and, you know, put two and two together in the sense of like, this wasn't like a mistake. This wasn't like a whoopsie moment. And and here's what we need to talk about. COVID protocol is not like, it's not like a silly rule. It's not like a, like I'll even say like, it's not even like a curfew. Like curfew with adults is like borderline stupid, right? There's a reason, a real reason for COVID protocol. Zach Steffen is out. With COVID right now, you're putting that, that also emerged today. You're putting everyone in the team at risk. There's a reason it exists, and you have ten days to keep it locked down. And and you can't do it. It's pretty simple. It's, it's pretty. It's simple. so immature. It's so immature. And and what bugs me is also what you set up. It was a uh, coming off of a bad performance by the team, a, a lacking performance with a bad result or not great result, and a lot of pressure on this game. And so then you put that at risk. And then, with Geo out, now you go into a must-win game at home without two of your four most important players. Right. Without Tyler, you, can make an you have Tyler that. and Christian, and no Weston and no Geo. Yeah. I mean, I would rank those four guys as the four most important players on the It team. doesn't matter. We're splitting hairs there. But it's just like, what are you doing, man? Like, just just like hold it together for a week or 10 days. Like, just hold it together. Like, it's not that hard. You know? Like, it's not. It's not that hard. You're around your boys anyhow. Your friends are with you. Like, go hang out with them. You're allowed to. Like, I, I just don't get it. And it's like, Paul, I just keep thinking about how I would feel if I was one of his teammates. Right. And I would just feel let down. Like, I'm not saying it's an unforgivable offense or anything like that. This guy is going to be a part of this team going forward and a big part of it. Right. And like, I'm sure he'll be welcomed back in, into the fold with open arms. But 
if I'm a U.S. player right now who's just on the field for 90 minutes and it didn't go my way and everyone's wrecking me on Twitter, I would be like, this dude let me down. Like, he's supposed to have my back and he let me down in a big way. And th- and that's something, uh, I don't know. He's going to have to make up for it in some way with those guys, right, in that locker room. He doesn't have to make up for it with the fans. I mean, he'd be, it'd be nice if he did, but like, what he needs to do is make up for it with those players because, like, they have a right to be pissed at him right now. I mean, he can start by scoring a goal in Honduras. I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, <laughs> That'd be a good way to start. I, I don't think you have – like, Berhalter was asked today, tonight, would he be suspended? As you said, he didn't really commit one way or the other. He said it's still TBD. I don't really think you have the luxury to keep him suspended, honestly. You know, with Serginio Desk going down with an injury and Gio Reyna out, I just don't think – you have the numbers. I mean, he did say, Berhalter did say that they're considering calling in somebody else, right? Well, who so are you going to call in? Who are you going to call know. in? That can help that, you. I, you. I wrote that in, the, in my piece. It's like, yeah, you can call in somebody, but they're coming in on short notice into a group that's been together for a while. They're coming in cold. And, who you know, is, it's going to have to be an MLS guy. It have to be. A, in my opinion, you can't bring in, like, you can't go get a young guy to bring him in. That doesn't help this team. You need a... You need a veteran, probably a veteran player, you, and the veterans are injured. That's why they're not here. Right. So, my point being, you can't have, you can't keep him suspended. It's, I, I look. It's, it's I will say maybe, this, maybe Chris Mueller comes in. I, I will say I, credit I, I, to Greg Berhalter because he has a choice when Weston violates COVID protocol. Yeah. You look the other way and you say this way. is a must-win game at home, and. Everyone will understand, and I'm just going to look the other way. But then you're greenlighting that type of behavior. I mean, that that kills your culture. If you preach accountability and you preach a certain thing, and then the first time you're tested with it, you don't do it, then yeah. But it's just the timing couldn't have been worse. And so I, I do, I do want to say, like, you know, here you are as a coach. Any coach in World Cup qualifying, any coach in World Cup qualifying has a short leash. You need the results, and. He did it. I mean, I, I just don't think every coach would do it. Yeah, I mean, probably not. But, like, whatever. Like, <laughs> but you know. <laughs> I, all I'm saying is clearly I'm weak as a coach because I'm, like, sitting here being like, one game suspension's enough, baby. Put him back in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it probably is, honestly. Um, let's get back to the game. Let's get back to the match on the field. Um, the first half I thought was pretty, pretty slow. There wasn't a lot going on. The last 10 minutes or so sort of picked up a bit. Um, But Canada was like, okay, we're going to sit in our block. We're going to make you break us down. And the U.S. was kind of feeling it out for a while. Um, First 10 minutes, I was actually okay with how they were playing because it's just like, it's very much like, okay, let's see what you're doing, right? And like, it wasn't the fastest, but I'm like, okay, well, they'll pick it up. They never picked it up, you know? And I thought it was a little weird in the first half in particular, I wasn't paying as close of attention to this in the second. But in the first, it just looked like the movement was all off. You know? Leggett and Acosta weren't really making any vertical runs. Both of them were sitting very deep, particularly for the opening 25-30 minutes. Um, there weren't a ton of options. Pifak was not checking back to the ball. He wasn't presenting himself. Pulisic was getting frustrated and dropping at one point all the way next to the center backs to get the ball. And they just couldn't figure out their movement. They couldn't figure out their shape. And that was a theme for the entire the entire night. It continued, pretty much. Um, 
And I don't know. There's there's a lot for this team to work on. But to look that timid and to look that, I guess, clueless sounds kind of strong, but I guess it isn't. To look that clueless at how to break a team that's sitting back down is super discouraging. Because Burhalter said it. This isn't the only time the U.S. is going to face an opponent that bunkers in and qualifying. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it even was clueless, man. I, honestly, I think it was timid was a great word for it. I think it was passing the buck. That's what I felt was happening a lot. That's a good way. Yeah, that's a good way to put I, it. I felt like, again, I'll go back to it. I felt like Legette and, and even Kellen Acosta, and I will say, you know, and you and I, I think, disagree on this point a little bit. I don't really think it's Kellen Acosta's job to do what I'm about to talk about. I think it's definitely Sebastian he's not really job. He's not really a creator. You yeah. have to get into the pockets, get the ball under pressure, and then do something with it. Sometimes you're going to have to beat a guy off the dribble to create and then make a pass. Sometimes you're going to have to play a one-touch pass out to the wing or, you know, th- you know, looking behind the lines and hope that the winger is cutting in or the 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 outside back is is making the overlapping run and cutting. You have to take on that responsibility to get the ball in that space and then do something with it. And I felt too many times Sebastian Legette would receive the ball, take a touch that was a a touch meant to absorb pressure, right? It would be the outside of his foot or, um, you know, fa- facing his own goal and it would be towards his own goal just to absorb the pressure. And, t- and the pressure wouldn't always come. That's what kept frustrating me is that he was anticipating pressure yes. that wasn't always there. Yeah, you see him ghosts a little bit. He would play it back to the center backs and then it would get moved slowly to the other center back. They'd look for Christian Pulisic. You know, maybe he'd get it, maybe he wouldn't. The overlap would be slow on his left. There wasn't really anything there. And then he would play it back to the center back. And it kept mm-hmm. going that way for most of the half. And yeah, Jordan Peepock, I thought, was not a fit in this game. I think, yeah. I, and I said this to you, I think when Greg Berhalter goes back and looks at the film, and maybe I'd feel different if I go back and look at the film, but I just felt like his strengths are not combining, connecting, checking back to the ball and playing. Um, he didn't do it. There were a few times, actually, there was one time where I want to say it was John Brooks, but it was on the right side of the center back line, so it must have been Miles Robinson. Just played him the ball. He played like a really long, driven, on the ground ball into Jordan Peefock that luckily got through the two mm-hmm. the two lines in front of him because Jordan wasn't checking to the ball, and he was almost yeah. like, "You're getting this. I'm sorry. I have to play it to you." Yeah, and, and you know, so there was a lot that went wrong, and it just felt like no one wanted to outside of Chris yeah. Pulisic. No yep. one wanted to be the guy. Right. But but Pulisic, you know, you talked about Legette and Acosta not being progressive enough with what they were doing on the ball, right? That takes Pulisic out of the game, right? A hundred percent. He couldn't and, move off the ball because no one was getting the ball for him to move off of it. Exactly. And, and eventually, so, Sam, and if you remember, if you go back, I, I would imagine it started 20, 25 minutes in where Christian started to get the ball in turn and he was facing a, immediately a defender and then, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there was a defender behind on each side. One was paying attention to Anthony Robinson. Yeah, no, the other one was it would have to be, and he it would started have to be like to, a one on three or four. Well, man. he started to kind of take them on or he'd wiggle his hips or he'd try a step over or two. And it actually led to the moment that you talked about where the U.S. took control for about 10 minutes because Richie Larea fouled the crap out of Christian Pulisic because he didn't like what, that Christian danced over the ball facing him up. He thought he was, <laughs> he thought he was showing him up. He wasn't showing him up. He was trying, he was trying to trying make to something happen. Yeah. 
And yeah. that was a that I think was a sign of the frustration that like, man, all right, I guess I'm just going to have to dribble people, you know. And but he, even he knew that's not the smart thing to do. But, but I, he, I, he didn't but it, I spent the, 25 no, minutes is, waiting, 30 minutes dude, waiting. This is this is exactly what it was. You said it right. The other guys were super tentative, and they were. It was a lack of responsibility. And I will say that Dest, when he was playing, he was trying to make stuff happen on his own too, as he always does. What? Uh, <laughs> um, and you know, he had a couple of really good runs up the field, by the way, like really dangerous runs. I think he slipped Aaronson through on one, um, and he put in a dangerous cross that I think was almost deflected in for an own goal. Um, so Dest was doing some good stuff. He had a really bad moment in defense where he missed a clearance. And or tripped over the ball and kind of knocked it into the path of Davies. And then Davies got to the end line and cut it back to Kyle Aaron. And Matt Turner made it actually like kind of an awkward save, but a really nice save. Very fortunate um, that Kyle Aaron mishit that ball. Should have been one nothing just then. Yeah, it should have. Um, and, you know, so, but other than that, I thought this was all right tonight before he went out late in the first half with a sprained ankle. But yeah, that was it, man. Like all of the other players on the field were like, someone else do something right they were kind of playing scared and i don't know what that was that was weird to me i don't know if that was a hangover from el salvador i don't know if it was you know a a home game against against it's weird to say this because the u.s smashed them four to one and in 2019 in nations league and beat them in the gold cup but i kind of feel like canada's like got a strong mental edge over these guys like, am I off base there? I I don't know if they. I don't know. I don't think that's true. I think that what I Canada loves playing. You know what the, the US. mental edge they is? The it. mental edge is they have no pressure. That's the mental edge. Yeah, they're not expected to win that game. Right. They're expected. But by the way, know, the, the U.S. is, and that that they helps. Were, but they I, were talking post game. John Herdman, the coach, and Sam Atakube, who those were the two in the press conference, that they were disappointed. That yeah, they didn't get the three points. Of course they were. No, they might have just been talking mess. A, we did yeah. see John Herdman at the hotel. And he was talking smack to a fan who deserved it. The, the fan was drunkenly <laughs> talking smack to John Herdman outside the hotel saying that. Anyway. Admit you were lucky, the guy was saying. And Herdman was like, what are you talking about? But He didn't seem way, so disappointed. A bit of advice. A bit so of advice for the, the Total Soccer Show listeners here. Don't do not drunkenly approach the, the manager of the team that, you're, that the, your team just played. Especially when your team got the got the crappy result okay just leave, leave let him enjoy his night that's why i say i mean you you should walk yeah, away in could. shame walk like, away in yeah shame. that would be the appropriate thing to do but like you know sometimes you just want to mix it up a little bit you can mix it up <laughs> when you have a reason to mix it up otherwise you 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 walk of shame back up to your hotel room man that's it's what i'm saying banter's in the game but bro. i will say see, what one thing that stood out to me about herdman's press conference was that he talked about when they were doing research on in preparation for this game that they were he said he claimed he was reading coverage of the US team and that all the talk about the US team's inability to score prompted him to play that low block because El Salvador certainly didn't and they right. didn't play the low block against the US in the Gold Cup either they did not play a low block and his idea was a good one it was the pressure's on them to score, and they can't score. And the longer they go with not being able to score, the, the, more, pressure. the more pressure is on. And it worked well for about 60 minutes until the goal happened. 
And and even then, you know, then Canada was able to respond with and Yeah, and, but that wasn't even that was just a that was just that wasn't even a low block thing. You no, know? but it, but on my my point is like if they had the goal was to pitch a shutout, right? The goal was to to have that pressure ramped up, ramped up, ramped up, and this was the yeah. best way to do it. And I thought that was really interesting insight from from Herdman, who's you know, my favorite coach to watch in CONCACAF. Why do you say that? Well, he's awesome on the sidelines. Yeah, he's he's an emotional character. I wrote I wrote about him after the U.S. lost to Canada, two nothing in Toronto in October 2019, and sort of contrasting him with Burhalter and just just their demeanors, not anything they're doing tactically or anything like that. And because Herdman's like he's like out here like talking about blood and guts and like he's doing it with a weird smile on his face and he's like got this British accent, but it's sort of Canadian as well and like. All the Canadian players are like, yeah, this dude's a crazy motivator. Like, we love playing for him, you know? And Berhalter, while I think he's changed and adapted and grown in those ways, like, I don't think anyone's really ever said that about Greg, that he's a crazy motivator and, like, super, like, emotionally connected to us. Um, so it's just an interesting contrast in styles. There isn't one right way or wrong way, but um, it is, I don't know. They're different. That's for sure. But I do the one of the things, Sam, that I've been thinking about since this game ended is we talk about no one stepping up for the US team, right? There was no one that grabbed this game and took it over. By and the cojones. And, yeah. I, and I feel like part of it is, you know, we talk all the time about these Champions League players and all of this and all of that. None of them are the guys on the team that that are the guy, you know? Yeah. And they're the one that has to step up. The only one really that feels that pressure on the club level is, is Christian, right? Because he had the huge price tag, and even when he comes off the bench, he's coming off the bench. To, sort of, to he get doesn't a goal. even start all the time. He doesn't. But I'm saying, but his, but that club is so big, and his price tag was so big that every time he's on the field, he has to produce. He has to produce, or else he's not going to see the field again, or else he's a flop. But and even then, he's not. He's certainly not the guy on that team that's that's being counted on to deliver. Especially not now, <laughs> you know. He's not Lukaku. Lukaku. You know, he's not <laughs> Lukaku, right? So there's that. But when you look on the other side of the field, that game plan tonight was: we are going to say that you cannot break us down, and we are going to say that Alfonso Davies will get at least one moment to change the game. And you know what? He got two. He got two moments. The first one, Kyle Laren let him down. He mishit the ball. And and Kyle does not do that very often. He's a very good finisher. Yeah. The second one, he made sure Kyle Aaron could put that thing into the net. <laughs> and that guy, he is another level of game changer. Unbelievable. Incredible player. And in that moment, I mean, that is a level of trust in in a player, specific player, to deliver when he gets the chances. And Maybe it wouldn't have worked. I think part of it was like, hey, worst comes to worst. It'll be 0-0. Zero, zero. Maybe it'll be 1-0. Mm-hmm. We'll put ourselves in it. But he will give us a chance to be in this game. And and that's why I kind of chuckled afterwards when they were like, oh, we really felt we could win this game. I'm like, okay, yeah. You you guys were I mean, a little bit better pa- in the second Paul, half. But to, to be fair, after Davies scored, they had some good looks. They were the they better, had better well, yeah, looks that, than the U.S. Uh, to be expected, again, because yeah. the U.S. is pushing the game at that point and you're opening yourself up. But I just think it, it just goes to show when, you know, and, and uh, Alfonso Davies doesn't have to be the guy for Bayern Munich either. 
No. But he knows how to be the guy for Canada. And that's something that's lacking in this U.S. team right yeah. now. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I think it's fair to say that Pulisic has not learned that yet. He hasn't. He goes in and out. And Davies, like, he's going to give you one of those every single game. And by the way, like, that dude is such a beast. He made Deont- DeAndre Edlin's a good athlete, like a really good athlete. He made DeAndre Edlin look like a fourth grader. Like, he blew past him. DeAndre Edlin maybe is the fastest player on the U.S. team. He blew past him. And then he, like, just, like, hip-checked him. I don't know. He gave him a little forearm forearm shiver and, like, threw him on the ground legally. And, uh, I mean, what a player. Like, honestly, I mean, what a player. He was, it was I, cool to watch him I, live. I, I will say this. I don't know if there's an answer to this question, Sam. I do not know okay. if there's an answer to this question. I don't know if there's anyone in the world any defender in the world who in that situation that DeAndre Yedlin found himself in by putting put himself in that situation by getting on the wrong side of Davies. Mm-hmm. But in that open space against Davies, that yeah. someone, who's going to stop him there? I don't know if there's anybody. I know. I have one answer for you. And then we'll go to break. New who. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we are back. Allocation disorder. Dissecting. Talking about. I I was going to use another fancy word like dissecting. And then I just went with talking about. We're off to a good start this segment. Uh, we're talking about the U.S.'s 1-1 loss. That's right. I said 1-1 loss. <laughs> that was on purpose <laughs> to Canada at home in World Cup qualifying on Sunday night. Paul, in the article that I wrote on The Athletic, I referenced the October 2019 and November 2019 games between the U.S. and Canada. For those of you who do not remember, in October 2019, the U.S. went up to BMO Field in Toronto in a CONCACAF Nations League group stage match, and they got their lunch handed to them by Canada. It was 2 nothing. I was there for that one. Canada completely dominated the midfields with Liam Liam Miller and, and Samuel Piet. Um, the U.S. did not play with any sort of fire or intensity. They got out-competed. It was, frankly, kind of an embarrassing performance. Um, even though the margin wasn't that big, Davies scored in like th- think the sixty third. Cavallini, Lucas Cavallini, added one in the ninety third or something like that. 
it was probably the low point of the Berhalter era until maybe tonight. Um, but the U.S. really responded afterward. They came together as a team. They went out. Berhalter changed some things tactically. He became a little bit more emotional, or he has become a little bit more emotional. Uh, and the team came out with intensity and fire and blitzed Canada 4-1 to one in the return fixture in November 2019 in Orlando. Paul, we have another disappointing loss. Loss, Another disappointing result to Canada. There is an even bigger game on deck in just a couple of days here. Do you think the U.S. is in the right mental state to be able to respond at Honduras on Wednesday? Yeah, they better be. I think there's. I think you have. They better to be. be. But do you I think, think they you are? Have to be. Yeah, I think you have to be. Because the the mental state you're in is, yeah, you're in a negative place. But I think there is a, a an instinct to fight in these moments. And I, I would guess that Greg Berhalter is going to make an us against the world type of push. This it feels like the typical coach's move of no one believes in you, everyone thinks we suck, and you know you need to go. You need to go do this and show who you are for yourselves. Like you, we're better than what they're giving us credit for. Though I should say, like right now, my Twitter timeline. I just tweeted out my story. It's two in the morning here, and the immediate response is: ten percent of the blame is on the players, ninety percent is Burhalter. I think that's bogus, man. I think I'm tired of fans like. Okay, I get it. I get that you, you people don't like Burhalter, and it's fair to criticize Burhalter. But so, yeah. at some point, some of these players have to start being held responsible too, man. That's the by thing. The fan man. base. They they all want to just just no nothing can be done wrong. Like no, come on. No, you can criticize Burhalter for some things tonight. Of you course. mentioned starting. You can you mentioned starting PFOC instead of Sergeant. Yes. I would agree with that. Being um, late on the subs, Sergeant made a big impact. I'm not being late, impact. He made like an the impact subs, the subs being so late was bad. Like it was bad. I thought the like Sergeant we, sub. I thought it could have happened at halftime. Yeah, at halftime. Like, and, and he sort of. I mean, he didn't quite admit it, but he went down that road in his post game comments when he was asked about it. Um, that was bad. Uh, I don't know why he waited so long for that. You give the guys nine minutes. There's not really much they can do. But Sam, Sam, when we were in that game, in the game. When it was happening, when we when when the lineup came out, when we knew Weston was out, we knew Gio was out. There, there is not a lot of beef I have with that lineup, other than when I saw the five four one, I thought Peacock is the wrong striker. Right, but he we, didn't know they were coming they, out. In the yeah, they hadn't played that. But other than that, without knowing what Canada was going to play, yeah, you know, I said I said I could have imagined any of the three strikers starting. I would have started Sergeant. I wrote that in our piece. I had Sergeant, but. Otherwise, once Weston's out and Geo's out, it's really, to me, it was down to Leggett or Roldan. And in this game, you go with the experience of Leggett. I don't have a problem with it. And in fact, I thought that Leggett and his skill set ended up being, in my mind, fortuitous tactically. I mean, it should have been. For what Canada was doing. And then he just didn't step up to the moment. Right. And so... I don't have an issue with the lineup. Now, I think, like I said, the subs could have happened earlier. I think Sargent could have been brought in at halftime. I didn't think PFOC was doing enough there. I thought, and I said this to you on our walk back from the stadium, I thought Yedlin's injury, or sorry, Death's injury, Yedlin coming on changed. I, I, I would have put money down that the injury, that the sub happens at halftime there. I think the injury changed that dynamic a little bit of already having made a sub, even though you get five now. Um, but it definitely could have happened 
you know, somewhere in the 70th minute after the goal, right after Canada's goal. Yeah. That was my big beef with the night. I thought the subs could have happened, and I thought I thought the, the striker situation could have been solved quicker. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and legit, and legit needed to come out too. Yeah, at, at but that you point. know, you look at the process, not the results, when you're evaluating decisions like these. And people, I didn't have a problem with the lineup in real time, right? The one thing that was kind of telling to me, Paul, well, a few things, and this is me changing the subject a little bit. But we were talking about this up in the press box, and we talked about it when we did our little pregame Twitter spaces as well. After Canada scored, after they equalized, they brought on Jonathan David for Kyle Lahren and Tejan Buchanan for Junior Hoylet. Right? A really good striker, the, the starting striker for the defending French champions, Jonathan David, and a guy who just got sold for $7 million to Club Bruges by New England, and who is just, you know... He's not quite a Davies level athlete, but he's definitely second best to Alfonso <laughs> in terms of his his pace and his ability to just beat guys on the dribble. And you're doing that and the US is like, who are we gonna bring in? We don't have any good options right now. Right? And that's kind of amazing. And this is something that we were talking about again, and you mentioned it earlier in the show, the lack of a striker. Right, and how long the U.S. has been searching for one. Canada probably has three strikers that would start for the U.S. In David and Laren and Cavallini. Maybe Cavallini doesn't, but like I think he probably does. And, and it's just kind of drastic, like how much talent, A, that Canada has in the attack, right? How they tailor their game plan to that talent. In most cases, they didn't do a great job of that in the opener against Honduras. <laughs> I've been saying right a lot. I apologize. Um, thanks for letting me know, Paul. I appreciate that. Um, but it was just kind of striking that here we are sitting there and being like, when is he going to make a sub? And then if he does make a sub, is it even going to be an impactful one? Cause the talent maybe isn't there. And Canada's bringing on Buchanan and David and you're like, uh Oh, these guys might score another goal. You know, I, I don't know. Is <sighs> Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I again, I feel like I'm a big Kyle Lahren fan. I have, I covered him in Orlando. I thought he could, I thought they should have signed him to a DP contract or a TAM contract back in the day. He's a fantastic finisher. He didn't really scare me in this game. You know, it was all about, again, the strategy wasn't even that, you know, like it really wasn't. And, and, and the, so yes, the moment Davies came out, Buchanan was the threat. And in fact, at one point he, you know, he beat, um, Brooks for pace. I, I don't even think was it Anthony Robinson. He ran out of bounds to get back in bounds. I think Robinson had pushed up the field, and it was somebody else, maybe Kellen Acosta or somebody that he ended up sprinting around. Um, he's a good player, and and he and he should have done better with that chance. He ended up he ended up going out for a throw in, which is not the best result ever. It's the difference between Club Bruges and, and Bayern Munich, I suppose. But um, that that's meaner than I meant it to be. Uh, he's a very good player, a very dangerous <laughs> <It's true>. player. <laughs> um, but that shot did go out for a throw, and it's never a good sign. Um, I just, yeah, I, I mean, you look down the bench, who was going to help you? Sergeant, again, I thought needed to happen. Roldan for Leggett, I thought needed to happen. But you are limited by no Wea, no Reyna, no McKenney. Um, who else is it? No Zardes. Like, there are guys missing that would have helped. Jordan Morris, obviously, 
Yeah, I mean, he's been out for a while. Greg like, keeps mentioning Jordan Morris. Jordan Morris has been out since he's been out for like, a long time. But March, but you know like, the the point he was trying to make is that the winger depth chart they're a little further down the winger depth chart than they would have been. In fact, actually they're not because they don't, they didn't bring anyone else. Um, <laughs> Hoppy Hoppy not being in form and not having played any games, I thought I thought really helped. It's not like you can. I don't think you can fly Hoppy from Europe to play in this game. He, he probably you're telling, is the guy you're that you're telling you me Matthew Hoppy doesn't have the energy for that. Uh, he's the guy I would call. He's the guy I would call. He fits the best, the mold best of what I think they need. The energy, the willingness to kind of try to grab the game, whether or not you are you're the yeah. guy that's supposed to do it or not. You know, Hoppy's the guy who would do it anyway. You <laughs> he know, wouldn't they, shirk from the responsibility. He, he would go that's after sure. it, and I think he would yeah. help a lot. But I don't know if you can fly him from Spain to Honduras. And throw him in the game. I don't know. I mean, it, I, it's work to me. It's like, yeah, let's do it. But yeah, I just feel, I just feel like that's missing right now from this group. And 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 again, some of the blame I think goes to Berhalter because some of that can be changed by substitutions. Some of that is coaching, right? Yeah. You can change that by substitutions. You can inject energy into the game. That's what they're there for. No, and some of it is what you're messaging to the guys too. Like honestly, like I'm not saying you can change their personalities, Paul, because you can't. Right, but there are things that you can emphasize and things that you can bring out of them. They, all the you know, and all the players said, I, I don't think messaging has been too much of a problem. They're, they've I don't been think, pretty. I'm not saying it is, but what I do think is. is interesting is I and I I don't know maybe I'm looking into this too much. The players tried to claim that learning about Weston in the afternoon didn't impact them at all, and I find that hard to believe. Me too. I find that hard to believe. I I don't think that it. You know, once the whistle sounded that they were actively thinking about it. But I think it yeah. certainly is going to have an impact on the group right before a game and the hours yeah, it's, before it's a game. A big, it's a big, big news item right before a game. You know, you know a not, guy you're counting on. And a, a guy you're counting on, a guy who's your friend, a guy who's in the starting lineup. Yeah. And, and, and you're feeling things. some emotions about it. Yeah, like of a course lot of you are. You might, be just, you might be disagreeing with the decision. Yeah. You know, there's all of that factoring in. So, yeah, again, I also think subs could have happened earlier. As soon as that goal happened from Canada, you may, I think you make changes right there. Because you need to do something to try to inject energy. So, you know, yes, I think coaching. But I, I am also going to continue to say, and I wrote this in my piece, somebody needs to step up and be the guy for this team. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And and really, right. there's only one guy who's good enough to do it I, I, in the attacking third. In the attack. In yeah. the attacking third. Yeah, and yeah, it's Christian Pulisic. Just in case you didn't know, let's take another quick break and then let's look ahead. You know, Paul, we're sitting here. We have less than seventy-two hours until the Honduras game kicks off. It's coming fast, uh, so let's look ahead to that match and what we expect, who we think we'll see, how we think they'll play, uh, and hopefully, you know if they can wash this bitter taste out of the USMNT fan base's mouth. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willingly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And we are back. Last segment of Allocation Disorder. Looking ahead, we've talked enough about Canada and all the disappointment. Let's look ahead to Honduras on Wednesday. And what Paul mentioned off the top is now a massive, massive game. Paul, how do you fix it? What do you do in Honduras? You know, I, I went into this window thinking that they were going to play a 3-5-2 in Honduras, a three-man back line. And I think you still do that because things have been so bad going forward that you, you change up the look a little bit and see if it gets things going. You also don't really have any wingers anymore. Yeah, you're, you're down wingers. 
you're down of right back, which I actually think is the biggest dilemma for the for the third game. Um, and so I have two big questions I'm asking myself going into this game. I think, actually, I still, I'll say three big questions. Going into it, thinking that they were going to beat Canada, I had James Sands starting in the back line, but kind of playing that hybrid role. And I had Tyler Adams going to the bench after playing 90-90. He's not going to the bench. After tonight, that that is out the window. You absolutely cannot take Tyler Adams out of the game. So I've got five-minute back line. i got Anthony Robinson, John Brooks, Miles Robinson starting in the middle, Walker Zimmerman, and... DeAndre Yedlin, because you're out of right backs. I'm just going to ride Yedlin into the ground here. And then I'm going with what I think is the best and most athletic trio of midfielders. I'm going with Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney. Uh, you, you guys already know I have unsuspended him. And <laughs> and Kellen Acosta. Yeah. And then I'm going Christian Pulisic and Ricardo Pepe up top. And here's the crazy thing. You're in a must-win game. On the road in CONCACAF. Absolutely have to win this game. And you have a kid who's 18 years old. He's never played for the senior national team. Ever. Why in the world would you start him? Well, because, question. because Josh Sargent hasn't scored goals for you. Jordan Peefock hasn't scored. He scored one goal for you against Honduras late in a game in a neutral site that was really a home game. You got to try. We got You got to find a forward. And you don't have the luxury of playing a friendly or another gold cup. It's time to find out about this kid. And I think he'll have more of an open style of play against Honduras than was, than we saw with the 5-4-1 against Canada, which totally understand why he didn't come off the bench against that back line. And I think you've got to, you've got to, you've got to find somebody different. You've got to find somebody. And sometimes I think, I tend to think younger players sometimes don't know that they should be scared or intimidated. Yeah, 100%. And and so I think you throw him in there and you say, go, go get it, man. That's my lineup. All right. I like it. Um, I have, I mean, I I was torn between Sergeant and Pepe, but you convinced me. I'm on the Pepe train. Uh, so I'll throw him in there. Um, and I was also kind of torn between Miles Robinson and James Sands. But, you know, center back is a position where you can go three games, if we're being honest. Miles Robinson did put in a lot of work tonight against Alfonso Davies. He was doing a lot of defending in space, not just against Davies, but against a number of different guys on Canada. He did a nice job for the most part, Robinson. He was he did not slide over to Davies on the goal after Yedlin was beat, and that was not a good play. That was a mistake. He made a Brooks, bad decision early on in that, yeah. Brooks also made a mistake on that play yeah. by not tracking Laren and, and doing some ball watching and kind of falling asleep. Um, so no one really covered themselves in glory there. Uh, it's usually what happens on goals. But yeah, I, so yeah, I'll, I'll pick the same exact 11, Paul. You convinced me on the two guys that I was on the fence about. Well, so Well, here's the other thing I like about this lineup. You're putting two guys who are very, very good in the air in the lineup against a Honduras team that's not great in the air. So you've got Three. West, you've got West, well, I think two guys who are very good, Weston McKinney and Walker Zimmerman. Yeah. Robinson is okay in the air. He's big. Brooks is good in the air. Brooks is okay in the air too. 
Not the, you know, Brooks has scored a big goal in a World Cup with his head, but he's not. Never, Robinson is great at getting on the end of balls. Yeah, he's got to work on getting on the target, and he's got to work on yeah. bracing himself when he hits the ground. He's not great at that. <laughs> um, but Weston McKinney and, and Walker Zimmerman are really good, and then you have some matchup issues, right? Because you'll bring three of them up. You're not going to bring. Um, you're probably not going to bring all three of your center backs plus Weston McKinney into the box early in the game. But I mean, you're, you're going to have some you're going to have some matchup issues there, regardless. And so yeah. somebody should. And I, I would, if I'm designing the set pieces, I'm designing those set pieces to try to get Weston and Zimmerman open. Yeah. So th- that's one thing that I really like about this lineup. The other is I, I think if they do play with five in the back, if they do come out conservatively. You've got a little bit more um, width here with your wing backs. Yeah. You can push them up the field and try to create, try to unbalance them in that way. Now, the problem is if you're playing a 5-4-1 and you've got three center backs, you, that's not nice. You don't like that. Um, so, I, you know, but typically Honduras plays a 4-4-2. They're going to be at home. They're, they're not, they're so not going to play So I'm anticipating that they're not going to play five in the back. I think yeah. they're going to stick with their, their four in the back. I mean, if you're Honduras and you're looking at the U.S. right now in Honduras and El Salvador drew 0-0 in El Salvador on Sunday, just FYI, if you're, if you're Honduras, you've drawn your first two matches, you're feeling okay because they've both been on the road. Um, you're feeling, probably feeling pretty good, actually, because they've both been on the road. You're looking at the U.S. and like you're like, you're kind of smelling blood in the water, right? Like you're going for it in this game, like 100% going for it all three points. So I don't think they're going to come out conservative at all. U.S. hasn't won there since up. 2009. That's an, you don't have to fear it. You, there's no fear yeah. here. No. It's a tough place to play, San Pedro Sula. Um, yeah, I don't know. You mentioned set pieces. Set piece delivery was poor tonight for the United States. Early on Gio Reyna was serving some good balls in El Salvador on Thursday. Uh, that was not replicated in this game whatsoever. So that's something that needs to improve. Um, I don't know. I like that lineup too, Paul. I, I reserve it, the right to change my mind based on the availability and flight patterns from Mallorca to to San Pedro Sula. Would you start Hoppy? Yes, I would start Hoppy. I would. I would start Hoppy. Yes, up top or on the wing. I would play. I would. I'd probably change the formation and play him on the wing. I'd probably start him on the right wing with with Christian on the left side. And still Pepe. Yeah, it's still Pepe. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's happening. So, but he's the only real option out there. I mean, who else would you call up here? You can call Cade Cowell, Cade Cowell. for his verticality, but again, another guy who's never, ever, ever played for the senior national team. So, really, I, I, I don't think you can call him. Why not? I, I just again, you're okay. You're if you're going to play Pepe, because, be, uh, if you're going to play Pepe in this game, you're gonna you have a must win, an actual must win game on the road, and you're going to put it's not, an eighteen year old. It is not an actual. It is. Must it win. is a must. It's, it's must not. Win. I think it's, it's a must win. You're not going to put – you need experience. You know, I could see there. there's interesting other solutions here because you might need a right back. Yeah. You know, do you, who do you go to there? I mean, I, I knocked down Julian Araujo's door and I'm like, what do you need to commit to me? He's not going to do it. So let's assume he's out. Who do you go to then? Right backs. Alex Roldan. Oh, wait, he committed. No, I don't know. Matt, Matt Polster? <laughs> you put him out, Matt Polster? I, I uh, mean, mean no, never been, been playing, in this program. He's been playing midfield all year. Yeah, never, um, never played in Greg Berhalter's program. 
Who is the who are the right backs for the Gold Cup? Why are we blanking on this? They had they had uh, Reggie Cannon. You could call you could him. Call I don't think he's doing much right but now. Again, Bovista. I'm not thinking you're. I'm, I'm thinking you're not calling guys from Europe except for Hoppy because I, I think he's the only guy you can call here who helps you. Yeah, the turnaround's a little tight. I don't think you're calling Hoppy either. I don't think you're calling guys in Europe. I, I think you're in trouble. You've got to look at MLS. You need a right back. There's not really a right back um, in in MLS. You need wingers. Your your best wingers are injured. You know they did bring Cade Cowell in as an emergency at the Gold Cup and then sent him back, so he would be the one that makes sense. There's not a lot of good options out there. No, it's there's this isn't there's no savior waiting in the wings, right? They they need to solve this problem on their own and they need to respond. And they responded once, right? They responded against Canada after they lost to Canada back in 2019. So we'll see if they can respond to Honduras. It's going to be a bigger challenge than that was. Canada in Orlando at home is not as tough as Honduras on the road in, in qualifying. You, you, said, uh, you said you said uh, Orlando, Cash Mueller. They could call Cash Mueller. Yeah. Who also, who also would be a guy who does not care, who does not care and will come in <laughs> he, Paul says that in a positive down, way. Kicking doors down. And Cash Mueller like, would be like, hey, he'd be Cash like, who are here. you jerks? Cash is I'm gonna here. go. I'm gonna go score a hat trick. Give me the ball. Be like, just like <laughs> shove Christian in the face with like an open punt. Get out of my way. Cash Mueller is here. I'm gonna do some step overs. Get out of my face. Schomburg in the house. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, you kind of, they kind of need that. Honestly, again, that's why kinda, I like Hoppy. They, they you need kinda, a little Hoppy energy and you need Cash a Mueller. Swagger up there. Ha- does Cash Mueller have Hoppy energy or does Hoppy have Cash Mueller energy? I, uh, I think Cash Mueller is a very specific kind of energy <laughs> that is his and his alone. I think I know what kind of energy it has, but I'm not going to mention on the show. I'll tell you after the show. All right, good to know. That's a terrible thing to say on a podcast, by the way. Just really, I do it the all the time, hanging. and it annoys you so much. It is the best button to push when I say that. Paul, you're not pushing my buttons. You're pushing our listeners' buttons. You're not doing me wrong. I get to hear what they you're talking about. They have a button about. they can push when I say something like that. It's yeah. the fast forward button or the they stop probably, button. They probably have. And They're then, probably then just they listening to something buttons else right on their now. keyboards in the comment section on your stories talking trash right. about me. So way too early <laughs> prediction. Does the U.S. get three points in Honduras? No. Yeah, I don't think so. They haven't won in Honduras since 2009. It's not an Only easy Only two place. cycles. It's Only not an easy cycles. place to play. Uh, the confidence is low. The options on the bench are low. The options away from the bench are low. You know, Julian Green's not coming to save the day, Sam Stay's goal. Julian Green ain't walking through that door. <laughs> um, so, no, I don't. I think that we will get a Connor month Casey of, ain't walking through that door, We will Paul. get a month of just absolute misery before uh, the next window. Alan Gordon ain't walking through that door. If you Thanks call, for listening if you to call Alan Gordon, disorder. he will walk through that door. <laughs> Alan Gordon ain't walking through that door. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder. This was a weird episode. It's almost 3 in the morning. Um, USA, Canada, things that dreams are made of or something like that. Thanks for listening. It's been fun. I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. Until uh, until Wednesday, we'll be back with another pod from Honduras. Talk to you later.